This episode is sponsored by yet another great company that I use and endorse, and that is Bubs Naturals. Now, they are offering you guys a discount on your first purchase with them, and I will get to that in a moment, but I really want to tell you the history of Bubs. Bubs was a call sign of Glenn Doherty, one of the courageous Navy SEALs that died in Benghazi, and his best friend, Sean Lake, co-founded Bubs Naturals not only to bring wellness solutions to the community, but to take 10% of the profits and donate to charities in Glenn's name. So I first came across their collagen through Jeff Nichols and had no preconceived notions or biases, but I started to witness in myself, my nails grow faster, my hair get thicker and longer, my skin, I've got very dry skin and it usually cracks in the winter, that has not happened this year. My joints, the aching, the kind of inflammation has definitely subsided. And then what really blew me away was actually my gut health. I saw that improve. And when you think about the gut is 80% of your immune system, that is incredibly pertinent. They have the apple cider vinegar gummies. I also take those. And then the MCT oil in a powder form has allowed me to put creamer back in my coffee after swearing off dairy for years. But when I have this creamer, it's adding energy, it's adding mental focus, so yet it's another supplement. Now, as far as efficacy, they're the only collagen that is 100% NSF for sports certified and Whole30 approved. So as I mentioned, the discount code. They are offering you 20% off a one-time purchase by using the code SHIELD at bubsnaturals.com. And if you want to hear the full story behind Bubs Naturals, and the courage of Glenn Doherty. Listen to my interview with Glenn's best friend and Bub's co-founder, Sean Lake, on episode 558 of the Behind the Shield podcast. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. 
And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show CrossFit legend and founder of NC Fit, Jason Kalipa. So we discuss a host of topics from the undulating path of CrossFit, the importance of recovery, overcoming injury, jiu-jitsu, his daughter's powerful leukemia story, and so much more. Before we get to this amazing conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Jason Kalipa. Enjoy. Well, Jason, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast today. Yeah, no, I appreciate being here and uh, excited to chat about all things fitness, life, whatever you want to talk about, I'm in. Brilliant. Well, I think a great opening icebreaker would be Sandlot Jacks. So I was there. I took my my son, who's about to turn 15, um, Jason, Emily, so many people that were there have been on the show, Tim. Um, so talk to me about... The last couple of years, you know, apolitical, just the last couple of years. And then, you know, what was that event like for you coming from California to have that kind of community all weekend with all those great minds? Yeah, all that, all that, uh, yeah, the, the fitness freedom. Um, it was good. You know, look, coming from California, I make no secret about it. I, I own a company that has brick and mortar locations, uh, corporate wellness and digital. So our brick and mortar took a major, major hit through COVID. And, you know, it was very, very difficult with the regulations that we had here. Um, you know, you have to learn a lot, right? You have to take what's in your control. And I couldn't, I couldn't worry about things that are outside of my control. And I had to really approach with a positive mindset. I couldn't go into this deep darkness of, oh, I'm in California and COVID is ruining my business. I had to get through that because I chose to run a business and operate here. And this is where I live. But going out to Florida was like a it was like a different world. Although things are opening up and they are open here now where I live, uh, everything is completely open. It was nice to go out there and just reconnect with people, shake hands, talk to people. Um, it, it felt really good. And obviously Jason and the Go Ruck team are first in class. So that was a lot of fun event. That was a very fun event. Now, I know you rolled with Tim Kennedy as well, and you know, jiu-jitsu is one of your passions now. So talk to me about that, because I, I was I was looking out for Tim. Um, he's been on the show twice. I did Sheepdog Response with him. I got to work out with him, got to roll in his uh, um, uh, Gracie Bar, I think, in, in Austin. So, you know, just very, very small moments with him. So anyway, I'm there talking to someone at a vendor. Next thing I'm in the air, I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Anyway, and then I turn around and yeah, I, he's basically picked me up and was swinging me around <laughs> in front of all these people. So I got my very brief, <laughs> you know, Tim Kennedy experience and then took his jujitsu class that he put on that weekend as well. Okay, you um, did. Okay. Yeah. So, but I know you guys, I missed it, but you guys actually rolled for a bit as well. 
Yeah, basically, you know, Tim and I have been connected for quite a while. We have a lot of similar interests, fitness, jujitsu, uh, family, right? Those are those are things we really connect on. And originally, I was in, introduced to him because of some of the stuff he was doing um, through his acting academy and through different school. And uh, again, you know, he he aligns with a lot of the principles that I want to embody and that I want my son to embody. Basically, this idea of being a gentleman and and really being loving and caring, but at the same time, as he would call it, be able to rip somebody's arms off and beat them to death with it. You know, there was a lot that I that I appreciate with that, with that concept, right? Being a very, uh, being a gentleman, but also being very capable. And so I, I would message with him on a regular basis, just saying what's up. And we'd always try and connect and never really worked out. And then finally we get to connect, uh, out there in Florida. And I was like, look, man, like we got to roll. And because if I have an opportunity to go learn from someone like him, I'm going to try and rob and steal everything I can. So I ended up bringing my gi and I thought we we're going to roll gi. I thought we we're going to go to like a gym and make it all like a special thing turns out we're just standing there and he's like, dude, I got like an hour. I was like, yeah. Okay. And so we just, no gi, no rash guard, no nothing. We just, we found some mats, threw them in the middle of the grass and just went at it. And you know, it's funny because there was nothing like orchestrated about it. Right. It was just like two dudes, especially for me, I just wanted to roll with him so he could tell me what I could work on and how I could learn from him. And it just so happened that we did it in a very public way, but we didn't like intend it to be that way. And so, um, yeah, we rolled for about 25, 30 minutes. Uh, he, he worked top, I worked top. It was, it was a good, it was a good, it was, it was a good role. Obviously, you know, he definitely had the upper hand, but I learned a lot of that experience. So it was great. So with that, just one takeaway from the last couple of years, this whole time, one of the most disappointing things to me is we had such an amazing opportunity to talk about community to talk about uh, nutrition, movement, sleep, you know, time in nature. And sadly, you know, a lot of the conversations were from the two far extremes and a lot of that was lost. And here we come out now. And I, you know, I, I touch on this a lot. Now we're talking about gas prices and Johnny Depp's, you know, divorce. And again, that distraction has come away with you, you know, having a deep understanding of physical performance, of nutrition, what, how do we take advantage of that and, and reinsert that wellness lesson as we emerge from this last couple of years? Yeah. I mean, look, I think from a politician perspective, and this, I think is a fact and most people agree with is that most of these politicians or, or, or people, they want to say they have a um, cure to the problem, right? Let's just say it's a mask or a vaccine and like, okay, that's cool. Got it. But it's not very sexy or, or, or powerful to say, Hey guys, we need to get sunlight. We need to exercise. We need to eat better. We need to, you know, take control of our fitness and wellness. And I feel like that message was lost to, you know, to kind of to your point. And it's unfortunate because it doesn't hit the mainstream media as much. Every blue moon, someone to say, Hey, statistically, if you have comorbidities, it doesn't benefit you, but it's not quote unquote, like fancy to talk about things that most people know are, are good for them. And so I think, you know, what we could do as a society to take steps in the proper direction is surround yourself with like-minded people, right? Find a gym, find a home. Uh, if that's CrossFit, if that's jujitsu, if that's the local YMCA, go find a place where you can surround yourself with other people that want to improve their lives. Because if you've been struggling with that, surrounding yourself with that will help kind of inspire you and, or, you know, identify a reason why you want to do it in the first place. You know, I think that one of the things that I, I think about a lot is that if at this point someone's in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and they've never exercised, me telling them that they're going to get a six pack or 
look better or whatever is, is probably not going to inspire them because they probably already know the health benefits. Um, but what they might not know is just the de-stress component, how it makes you feel better, how these micro adversities that you could put yourself through could help you with real life challenges. And I think those are some of the things that people could start doing tomorrow. Go for a 10 minute walk, maybe add a ruck to it and, and, and then start building upon that. But what people will find is that when they have these micro challenges, let's just say it's doing 10 pushups, but you fight to get 12 and you overcome that challenge, it'll then carry over well if or when life throws you a little bit of a curveball, you've utilized fitness as a way to kind of build up the mindset. And so if you're not inspired by six-pack or health benefits, maybe you're inspired by learning how to overcome micro challenges. So I had a real aha moment. I just came back from a cruise. And right before I did, I bought a book by a guy I've had on the show before, Johan Hari, uh, and it's called uh, Stolen Focus. And it's all these different ways that we're being distracted. And it's, you know, some things are very actionable by individuals. Some things are far more, you know, uh, corporately motivated to keep you on a phone, to keep you, you know, whatever it is. And so I deliberately didn't touch my phone for, it's actually been 10 days now because it carried on after I got back and, and was out on the balcony every day and reading. But that hyper-focus is something that I heard you talking about. I think it was with Ben Bergeron and, and his podcast um, with the kind of AMRAP mentality. So what, again, have your, been your observations about distractions and how do we get people to understand that we are being pulled a thousand ways and 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 you have to fight to get that focus to singularly be present on each thing, whether it's your nutrition, whether it's, you know, your exercise or, or family or business. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult task nowadays, right? You have access to the entire world within your pocket. And back in the day, there wasn't as many distractions, you know, now, I mean, literally you can go anywhere, anywhere on your phone, right? You could disappear. You could be on TikTok, Instagram, you name it. You could look up anything you want. And so it's very alluring. It's, it's, it's almost addicting like a casino game, right? It's very, um, in that sense. And I think what you need to remind yourself of is that a lot of the times we as a society, I think are becoming less present in what we're doing because again, these distractions pop up everywhere. You get a notification. And so the idea of the AMRAP, uh, mentality is this, this theory that really was created through CrossFit where you would AMRAP things. So let's just say, uh, I don't know. I asked you to go do as many reps as possible in five minutes of burpees. Well, if I asked you to do that, you would just be focused on that. You would be present. You would be focused. You'd get in your five minutes and you'd move on. And so I thought to myself, why don't I take that same mindset and then embody it in other things that I'm doing where I am being present and focused and trying to get as much work done as I can in, in the period of time. Like right now I'm, I'm just communicating with you. And what was happening to me in my life was that I would find myself one foot in one foot out on a lot of different important topics. So, you know, a great example would be um, years ago, we were expanding our business globally. Uh, in particular, we were expanding to Asia. And so at the time, I would take a lot of calls um, at around maybe like 5 p.m. And when I would take these calls, sometimes I would take them from a spin bike or an assault bike where I'd be trying to get in my conditioning because I was competing professionally in the sport of CrossFit while also trying to get in my conference call. And what I realized when I was done with the call, and I was always like almost second guess myself, be like, did I really do the best I could in either of those things? Was I, did I actually answer those questions really well? Or did someone say, Hey, Jason, what do you think? I took myself off mute. I was like, I think it's a great idea back to mute because I was in the middle of assault intervals. And that was really eye-opening for me is that I was, I was, I wasn't reaching my potential in either area. So by AMRAP being, being present, being focused, 
I would then finish the task and really know that I put my best foot forward. And that's the whole theory behind it. Beautiful. Well, I want to get start at the very beginning and kind of see if we can find where some of this mindset first came from. So tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Um, grew up in San Jose, California. Um, I have one sister. My mom is um, originally from Rhode Island, moved here from her, her, her parents were, came from Italy and then, or her grandparents. And then she moved here from Rhode Island. My dad is first generation from Iran, uh, came here when he was 19 and uh, grew up in San Jose, had one sister, found BMX at an early age. I used to race BMX bikes um, competitively. Once I found high school, I ended up ditching the bikes. I got injured quite a bit, found football, found track and field and kind of, you know, carried on from there. Well, I know one thing that's unique with you that you don't hear very often is that you also met your wife in high school. So that's right. Down the road with kids, with you know competitive um, achievements, and then some you know family challenges as well. When you look back now, what what were some of the things that are that made your marriage so successful? Where a lot of other people, and obviously some people when they're in high school just haven't met the right person yet. But what do you attribute that particular relationship success to? Yeah, so I met um, my wife when we were fourteen. Um, we ended up dating since we were 15. Um, ah, man, I mean, I think we got, we got lucky, right? We got a little lucky. It was, you know, good communication, um, trying to grow together, but definitely got lucky because as we grew and she was already more mature than I was when we first met, I eventually got more mature when I hit college, but I think we, we kind of grew together and we had, you know, mutually wanted to see each other be successful instead of growing apart. But I think a lot of that, some of that was definitely luck that we, we ended up having similar interests, you know, and, and, and being good compliments to each other, but that's not for everybody. You know, it just ended up working out for us and, and yeah, great. Thankfully. So now what about, um, career aspirations? What were you dreaming of becoming when you were in high school? When I was in high school, I, I didn't really apply myself much. I didn't really care. I wanted to kind of specialize in partying. So I, I spent a lot of time just trying to party, get, you know, hang out, you know, wakeboard, snowboard, play sports and party. And it wasn't until I hit college, I kind of realized like, Hey, that lifestyle was not very conducive to me wanting to reach my potential and reach my goals. And that's really when I started to buckle down, you know, I, I, I started working at a traditional health club when I was about 15, 16 on the weekends, I would sell gym memberships, or excuse me, uh, sell like Gatorades and, and, and welcome people. And then as time went on, um, when I got to college, I ended up um, getting a job as a, as a salesperson. And that's really where I learned how to talk to people, learned how to communicate. That was one of the best jobs I could put a possibly have asked for because it really taught me how to connect with different types of people. People come into the gym from all walks of life, different ethnicities, different ages, different financial perspectives. And you would have to work with them on finding a solution, which was ultimately trying to get them to become a member of the gym. So I did that from when I was a freshman through senior year of college. And then I ended up opening up a business right out of college, which was a CrossFit gym. So that's a good segue then. Beautiful. Talk to me about your first discovery of CrossFit, if there was a specific workout you remember, and then what was that contrast with the type of training that you were used to in those gyms you worked at before? Yeah. I mean, you know, traditionally, I I think when I was racing BMX bikes, there really was no focus on fitness. Uh, It was just kind of like, you spent a lot of time on the bike. When I got to high school, it was, it was fine, right? You got introduced to some of these movements, but it was one coach to 60 kids. It was tough. And so when I got to college and I was at, you know, I, I started doing Muay Thai. 
started exploring uh, traditional bodybuilding, spent a lot of time doing that type of thing because I was exposed to it working at the gym. That was common. And then in 2006, CrossFit kind of came on the scene and a friend of mine at the gym, his mom introduced him to it. And we went to our first workout. I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by, you know, some of the first CrossFit gyms ever because it was really originally founded in, in Santa Cruz. So I, I went for my first workout, wasn't really kind of, it was, it was fine. It was different, but it was fine. It took me a few months, like six months to really try to understand the intention of the clock and the effort that needed to be to get a good workout. So I was so used to just kind of like buys and tries, chest and back type of workouts. So after a few months, I kind of caught on. And that's when I fell in love with the idea of having a coach, a community, a clock. So when I was getting ready to graduate from college and was thinking about what I want to do, it was a good natural fit for me to want to go open up a gym like that. And at the time, it wasn't the norm. Right? None of my friends were thinking about opening their own business, but you know, I did it, and I ended up winning the CrossFit Games shortly thereafter, and it, it, it turned into a, a great tra- a career choice. So, with some of the sports you talked about, snowboarding, BMX, you don't think of you know the pain cave, the lactate threshold. It's a little bit more skill based. When did you start? realizing that you could push yourself further um and you know when you look back again at the formative years is there any element that you attribute to having that fortitude that you know many people couldn't push through you know i I do think you know looking back on it bmx racing was helpful the only reason why i say that is because i would um ride these things called rollers in my garage and i would train on those sometimes and then when you're out there you're learning how to overcome the adversity of being on a gate with seven other guys and you're trying to get off the gate first. And it's, it's, it's an aggressive sport and having more power in your legs was beneficial. And that grunt work of kind of like, it was like a four minute, just all out sprint, but I don't know exactly what kind of like maybe genetically I had, I had a benefit there, but I was surrounded by people at the time in like 06, 07, 08, who really wanted to get after it. And we really wanted to push ourselves and we didn't think we were getting a good workout unless you're on the floor afterwards throwing up. And that was what I was surrounded by. And that, that also kind of came from Muay Thai. When I was training Muay Thai, like it was a very aggressive sport and though that, that, that mentality transferred over well into CrossFit for me and the people I was surrounded by. So I'm, I'm grateful for those people because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known what that next year was if it wasn't for those people showing me. So I've had an interesting perspective because I got into it about 06 as well. And it was um, a friend of mine was at CrossFit Marina, which I think was Huntington Beach, California. And so he kind of passed it on. We were like, what the hell is this? And the next thing we're crying on the bay floor of a fire station and go, oh, this is CrossFit. Okay, this is horrible. Let's do some more. Um, So through my lens as an athlete and ultimately a a coach, I've watched, you know, the kind of ebbs and flows of that whole space from you know, the, like you're talking about, the kind of Greg Armanson fire-breathing initial element to the games coming in. Then I'm seeing, you know, in my gym specifically, the shift go to people walk through a door and immediately want to be Rich Froning and a lot of shortcuts. And that's where you see some of the injuries. Then the coaches mature. And now we understand, you know, muscle balances and, and movement and leaving your ego at the door. So it's been really interesting for me. But I'm, you know, weekend warrior. I use CrossFit as an adjunct to be a good firefighter. With you winning the games in 08, being a coach, being a gym owner, what have been some of your observations of the last, you know, decade and a half of, you know, the world of CrossFit? I mean, it it evolved, right? So I got into this in 2006. I won the games in 08. I was fortunate enough to compete for the next uh, eight years professionally, got back on the podium a couple of times, really, 
you know, I, I really feel like I saw, I, I got to see a side across. It was cool. You know, we started off on the ranch. It was dirt. We finally made it to the home Depot center. We felt like we were just, you know, big ballers, you know, on this main stage and now it's in Madison, but it was fun to watch the sponsors come in. It was fun to watch the growth, you know, Reebok comes in and, and that really made us feel like we were professional athletes. Sponsorships came in and I saw it go from, you know, one workout a day to two a days to three days to basically living in the gym. And I think what, what I've seen over time is that it's, it's been incredibly impactful on the world. I think Greg Glassman, what he created has forever changed fitness. And I think it's hard to argue otherwise, meaning you show up at a traditional gym and there's kettlebells on, on, on there's kettlebells and bumper plates and, and with the growth of Olympic weightlifting and the growth of gymnastics, I, I, I think some of that, at least for in particular weight, Olympic weightlifting can be, can be, um, said that that came from CrossFit. It exposed so many more people to these kind of more fringe sports prior. And I think that, uh, introduction, introduction of kettlebells and the clock, you're seeing signs that in hotel gyms across the world. And so I think what I've seen evolved is this idea of functional movement. What I've seen evolved is this idea of going from single muscle group, you know, shoulder to, you know, bicep to now thinking about more compound multi-joint function, uh, versus actual what muscle group it applies. Now, I think what happened is the pendulum swung real far. So in the beginning, you have the pendulum over here on like traditional bodybuilding. Nothing wrong with traditional bodybuilding. Frankly, when I got into it and then I got into CrossFit, I would think that anybody was bodybuilding. I just didn't understand it. I couldn't realize why anybody would want to bodybuild because I was just so caught up in the mindset of CrossFit. As much work, as fast as you can, you know, dynamic lifts, compound movements, all this kind of stuff, functional in nature. And I think that over the last 10, 15 years, I became more open-minded, right? I just, I was closed off for a little bit and it was us versus the Globo gym. And now when I think about it, it's just like everybody trying to get more fit. And I think what happened is we as a society, I worked really hard to get better at exercising just to get better at exercising. And I would work out to get better at working out. And that was fine for me because I was trying to compete at a highest level. I was a professional athlete. But now that I've retired from the sport and I've evolved into jujitsu and other things, I've came to realize that the, the, the goal of our gym at NC Fit is to help people live freely and fully outside the gym. So we want to provide tools to help them outside, keep up with their kids, do all kinds of stuff, be a better firefighter, be a better law enforcement, whatever. Whereas back in the day, I was just training to be better at training. Now my mindset has shifted. Let's train to really allow us to do whatever we want for, for the rest of our life. And I think that's just been an evolution of not only mine, but also as a sport of CrossFit, I think a lot of people are starting to see some of that too. So one thing I've noticed as well is just like you said, we, we had, you know, weekend warrior people that walked through, not done it very long. And now they are gym rats, you know, and, and people would look at, at me, for example, and think that that was what I was doing. I was one hour a day, you know, four times a week, and it was paying huge dividends. Muay Thai, I've done that for, again, Weekend Warrior for a long time. And I watched that go from shootbox, you know, Melrose in LA, which was literally Fight Club. I'd leave there with perforated eardrums and broken noses and, you know, all that stuff. To now, you know, you're hearing about people barely sparring, pad work, and then, you know, do the hard work in, in the cage or in the ring. Um, what have you seen as far as the less is more philosophy in the CrossFit in 2020 or in that just any that kind of, you know, hit training these days? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, Matt Chan and I were having a question about that or having a conversation about that the other day. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I look at my strength. I look at my abilities today compared to where I was at in 2000. I think I probably was at the peak of my fitness in, in 14, 13, 14, 15, probably at the peak in terms of CrossFit fitness. Now I think I have a different type of fitness because of how much I've exposed myself to new sports. Um, but I, I think I was beating down my body too much. I think I was putting in too much volume and I don't know if I needed to. It was almost like an addiction because you feel like if you weren't training, you weren't benefiting your body, but really your body also needs rest to recover and you can be more dynamic. And, and what I wish I would have done back then is spent more time playing new sports and developing new skills and less time doing the same thing 50 times a day because I think I would have developed athleticism that would have carried over better into my sport of CrossFit and also into life. And I would have hit these micro muscle groups that I wasn't hitting as well, because even though I thought I was doing varied movements, I was still doing similar movements repetitively. So I I wish I would have just regularly played more sports and focused more on just like maybe two sessions a day versus trying to do like five sessions a day. Well, I think that's one thing that I, I talk to my athletes about and, you know, I saw it myself in the fire service, for example, is, you know, that whole Kenny Powers thing being the best at working out that there was an element of truth in, in CrossFit. You know, that's what a lot of us were were doing at one point. And whether it's going outside and doing some strongman movements, you know, with sleds and moving weight over distance, which I use as an adjunct, which I think those two together work very well for the fire service. The other thing is how do you test it? So I'll do Spartans and Tough Mudders and, you know, jiu-jitsu and all that kind of thing but i'm not training for those sports it's it's a test of my crossfit and i think that's a part of the conversation that i know you know greg and some of those other people at the you know the the initial level talk about but it's kind of lost in the gyms is you know use this to train for something else to be that dad that takes your kid to the beach or you know can kick a, a football around with with your daughter or whatever it is but if you just use the actual CrossFit as well as your barometer, you're never going to understand the application of that to the real world. And then, as you said, when you're playing and hiking and, you know, whatever it is that you love to do outside, now you you have a why. You have, okay, I see this is working. Now I when I'm feeling tired in a CrossFit gym, this is driving me to train harder so I can go hike or go swim or go paddleboard or whatever the your you know, chosen sport is. Yeah. I mean, like if you had asked me 10 years ago, you know, what should people be doing? I thought they should be doing some snatches and developing some additional skills. I, I, I've changed my tune on that a little bit. And I think if someone desires to snatch rope climb, muscle up, handstand, go for it. And we have an avenue to help you get there. Like we got your back. But I think for most people, most of the time, especially if you're only training three or four days a week, we should really focus on, you know, fundamental strength conditioning, come in, push, pull, hinge, squat, and work 12 12 to 20 minute conditioning pieces. And if you come in more often and you have a desire to expand your experiences, heck yeah, let's get you going. But foundationally at NC Fit, what we're really leaning towards is this idea of just a fundamental strength component and a great conditioning piece. And if you have desires to get your margins really wide and, and expose yourself to a ton of different movements, that's cool. But you also then need to dedicate the amount of time needed to get good at those. You know, what was happening to me, I saw some athletes and this is, you know, just a learning lesson is that I would have someone come in maybe two or three days a week and we would snatch. Well, the thing is we'd only snatch like once a week. 
So the likelihood of them coming in on a snatch day wasn't that common. So the question would be, how long would it take for that individual to develop any level of competency in that movement to perform it with any level of efficiency, to load it up with any sort of way to provide an impact? And you can make the argument, hey, people get you know neurological benefits from using PVC pipe. And I get that. But the question would be, if you only had a certain amount of days, a certain amount of hours of someone, is it better off than learning those dynamic skills like a snatch? Or would you be better off learning a hang power clean or a front squat? And those are things that we've been evolving and finding out because we own and operate brick and mortar, saying to ourselves, what are we really doing to give these people the tools to live freely and fully outside the gym? And ultimately, the idea is, depending on how often you come in, that does change what you should be exposing yourself to. Yeah, I found this with firefighters as well. You know, a lot of us get deconditioned and then there's an ego element. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. There's there's a fear of looking stupid amongst our peers. And so a snatch or, you know, a Turkish getup or some of these higher skill movements are, you know, are, are very intimidating to some people. And what I've found just, you know, as a, as a white belt, one stripe coach myself, um, is when you give someone a sandbag or a sled, you can get work capacity up pretty quickly and the, the skill level is very low versus I can, this is my own personal thing. I'm terrible at snatching. Once my, you know, um, my skill level goes through fatigue, I can't do the work because I can't get the damn bar over my head anymore. So, you know, I found that as a great tool. If, if as you said, you don't have like a full, full-time athlete, a lower skill movement pays far more dividends as far as work capacity than something that takes a higher level of skill. Yeah. And I should note that although the work capacity component is very, very important, if you have a desire to learn additional skills, or if you want to increase ranges of motion, you know, an overhead squat and a full snatch are phenomenal tools, phenomenal, um, because they develop great ankle, shoulder, hip range of motion. They develop great, you know, um, I mean, if you think about like the quickest lift on the planet, you know, you're talking about a snatch and it's so dynamic. All I'm saying is that for most people or for a lot of people, a lot of the time, they may not have the time commitment to ever develop that, that skill level, but if they have a desire, we should help them get there. Um, but I, I think where, where fitness comes into play and what CrossFit did a really good job of is that there was these sets of skills that you can learn and people love this idea of chasing the movements, like getting their first muscle up, getting their first bar muscle up. And there's something to that, but you know, if you don't desire to get those, then you should just come in, get a great strong strength conditioning foundation, and then go pursue other things that, that give you that fulfillment, such as, you know, the fire service, you know, Spartan races or jujitsu. Absolutely. I think another thing as well is setting the bar. So if you're getting your first mus- muscle up, it's a first good muscle up as well. You know, yeah, I think yeah. that not the chicken wing and it's not, you know, again, being derogatory, but setting your bar that I'm going to be doing a, a good gymnastic kip and I'm going to catch it the right way and making that your, your bar versus, oh, I've got muscle ups now when, when you haven't. And now again, you're, you're kind of heading down the injury path again. Yeah. I mean, you want to move well, right. And, um, that just comes from age. It comes from, it, it comes from perspective. You know, when you've seen a lot of people work out, when you've seen a lot of people, you know, some people get injured when you yourself have done things that are stupid, you just learn and, and you evolve from there. And I think that's, that's where the industry really has gone. At least for me, you know, I got, I got, I, I started in the fitness space, um, when I was, you know, like I said, 15 years old and I've seen a lot. Uh, and I, I think we're just seeing the CrossFit, I think will forever have its stamp on fitness. 
And I think the next couple of years will be really telling on, on where CrossFit goes and where the industry goes in terms of where people fall into categories of what they're looking to do for their fitness and how they're going to express it. Absolutely. Well, I want to shift to a different topic because I want to be mindful sure. of your time. Um, you you know, and your wife experienced, you know, I think every per parent's worst nightmare, which is, you know, a pretty horrendous leukemia diagnosis for a young child. So kind of walk me through the the, the years leading up to that, because I know there were some decisions that you made financially in other areas that helped set you up for success for some elements of that. And then, you know, talk to me about the world of, of pediatric cancer and, and what you learned and, and how we can help move the needle on that. Yeah, it's not, not a good world. It's a, it's a tough world. But um, yeah, you know, so, so really, you know, it's funny. I, I wrote this book, As Many Reps as Possible. And I wrote it really with this intention that when our daughter got sick, it really opened my eyes that we were so blessed to have done so many things leading up to that to put us in the best position to handle it, right? We had, we had, we had developed our relationships with our family and our close friends. We had worked really hard in our business to create a financial hedge. We had worked really hard in the gym to develop a, a fitness hedge. And I think that those things are so incredibly valuable if or when life comes and kicks you in the nuts. Looking at COVID as a great example of that, COVID came and kicked a lot of people down and, and some people worse than others. Um, but I think that if you were as well positioned as you could be, you could have handled it better, right? If you had the financial hedge, the, 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 you know, the connections with your family, the close bonds, and the way that you were able to develop those is by AMRAPing, you know, really being present and focused when you're with them, really putting in the hard work when you're at work and making yourself, even if, if you work for another organization, making yourself so darn valuable that if, or when, you know, if a child of yours did get sick, you could take the time off. And because you've earned your stripes there, they'll bring you back on in a heartbeat and they'll support you. But if you weren't working hard, if you were going through the motions, if you weren't developing relationships, if you weren't in the gym, that's a much tougher journey to overcome. And so, you know, we, we, you know, basically the way it went for us was for months, we were kind of seeing a, a, a bunch of signs and, and, you know, it was in hindsight, it's always 2020, but you know, Ava would fall asleep at school. Um, she would have, um, leg excessive leg pain and we just couldn't quite understand it. And then at some point she was just bruising like extensively. And we're like, dude, she's falling asleep at school. She can't even walk. Like, you know, she can't even walk. Like what is going on? And we took her to so many different doctors and it was always kind of like something. And then finally, when the bruising happened, that was like the, uh-oh. And so we tested her blood work and that was when we knew something was up. And so we went to the ER and ended up just basically staying there. And you know, that, that type of news is frightening. It's, 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 it's life changing to say the least, but you learn a lot through the process. You know, the, the leukemia diagnosis for a, a, a young girl, uh, and technology changes all the time, but we're basically where we were at is two and a half years of chemo steroids, lumbar punctures, you name it. That's a long time. And you, you learn a lot being in the hospital. You learn to be compassionate. You meet people who are at the worst of the worst, the worst moments, and you can come together, together through a shared, that shared experience. And, you know, I don't wish it on anybody ever, but for us and our family, it taught us a whole lot about perspective, taught us a lot about family, taught us, you know, about relationships. And I don't want to say I'm fortunate, but at an early age, I'm glad I was able to go through that because now we can lean on that experience for the rest of our lives. And, and really it reframes everything else that we're going through, you know? 
Now, I've had a couple of friends on who sadly they lost their their children to that same thing. And um, it, there was a, a lot of frustration because when they actually started delving into the world of pediatric cancer, it seemed like there was very little funding for the research as well compared to a lot of adult ones. My argument has been, I think there's a lot of things that we do to ourselves environmentally that create a lot of adult cancers and there should be more focus on the pediatric ones. Yeah, well, and if the idea is to try and you know save lives, Right. The idea is to try and add. So I think uh, one of the one of the organizations is like adding years to people's lives or something of that nature. Why wouldn't you support the children who who statistically would have longer to live, statistically, right? Assuming they made it through, than uh, you know a fifty year old or six year old adult. And only a very small percentage of all funding goes towards pediatric cancer, which is very very sad. And you know we support an organization. My wife and I support an organization called Nigu, and it's uh, nigu.org. It's it's never ever give up. And the, the team there is incredible. My wife does an annual fundraiser called Ava's Kitchen, and you know it's it's our way of of kind of getting behind the mission of of trying to put smiles on kids' face when they're going through really difficult times. And Ava's Kitchen has been extremely successful, raised millions of dollars. And the idea is just again, take this money donate it to Nigu, then as, as a group, we then go do great things with it. Like send kids to Disneyland with their families, put smiles on kids' faces, send joy jars. So that when they're in the hospital, they could pop open this jar and get, get, get toys. That's, that's a, that's an initiative that we'll do for the rest of our lives because we know what it was like. And, and there's some days where you're having incredibly difficult days and if you just got one of those joy jars, it could totally transform and maybe push people to make it through the, the final journey. And, and another thing we do, which I would highly recommend anybody listening to, and I can't speak strong enough about this is donate blood regularly, right? You, you know, you could be the richest person in the world, but if someone doesn't donate, and I don't need to tell you, if someone doesn't donate, there's no product there. And so if you're a healthy person, you should be donating blood on a regular basis. And if you haven't, you know, done the cotton swab for be the match, I'd recommend that too. You never know when you can help somebody out to be a bone marrow transplant. And uh, that's a really powerful thing that you know, if I ever get called on to do it, I'll be right there to support because I think that's a that's a very big deal, also. Absolutely, it was very sad. I can't give blood. Being from England, we're with the oh, whole mad cow right. disease. Yeah, the so mad they, cow disease. They look at my veins and they're drooling outside our grocery store. I'm like, I wish I could, mate. If you change the rules, I'll be the first one in line. Yeah, they need to evolve those rules for sure. The questionnaire they ask is pretty dated, but yeah, it, it is indeed. You know. um, well, just before I go to to the app, how is Ava now? So she's doing great. You know, she's four years out of treatment. We have one more year till we really pop the champagne and, and, and really that at, at year five, that's when they consider you cured. And the statistical likelihood of, of getting cancer again is the same as me or you. And so, you know, she's thriving. And, you know, what I found is I'm, I'm very, very dedicated to kids and fitness, getting them moving. We have um, a sauna and a cold plunge here at the house. The cold plunge has been really impactful on her and our family getting some exposure, overcoming that adversity, learning how to control your breath has been really helpful. And just exercising regularly has been really valuable for the mindset. And so she's thriving. Um, I, I, I could not be more, um, you know, happy with where we're at, but you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, people go through difficult experiences in their lives and you've seen firsthand more than most. And, And it changes the way you look at things, you know, like for some people, the worst thing that's ever happened to them is when their car runs out of gas, as an example, maybe, or, or whatever. And if that's the worst thing that's ever happened to you, I, I, I hope that it stays that way, right? 
but, but just opening your mind to this perspective that there's a lot of people struggling with a lot of really, really bad stuff on a daily basis. And if you could, you know, kind of look at the world, that lens of like, Hey, being grateful. And, um, I guess what I'm trying to say, and I know that people in your profession, I've seen this, they've seen people in their darkest moments. And if you could wake up and just be like, Hey, it's going to be a good day, have a positive mindset. Because basically the problems you're looking to overcome are a fraction of what other people are really going through. I think that just, you know, leads to a better day overall. I don't need to tell you, you know? <laughs> no, I agree completely. I think that the gratitude is is one of the missing components and in, in so much not only within a household but on on the screens, you know, on coming from the the mouth of a president left or right, you know, it, you you can beat your chest and say what a great country it is, but you have to start with understanding how lucky you are and then how you can then work to improve your household, your community, your state and then ultimately your country. Yeah. 100%. I agree with you. Well, you t- touched on before we started recording about NCX, the NC Fit um, programming that you have. So, and you mentioned that was pr- uh, very pertinent to the tactical population. So, talk to me about the you know the, the workouts that you have and how people can access those. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, you know, I've, I've worked a lot of military, a lot of law enforcement groups, and what I've what I've came to the conclusion of is that I wanted to provide a program that my mom or dad, if they came in three days a week, they have one hour a day or the NYPD or anybody else for that matter had three days a week, one hour a day, what program would I, would I, would I give them, right? Something with enough variety, to keep them interested, but not so much that they're trying to reinvent the wheel every day. And that's our NCX program. Every day you're going to do some type of strength work, push, pull, squat, hinge, et cetera. Right. And then finish up with a 12 to 20 minute conditioning piece. And I think that for anybody in the fire service, anybody out there who's military law enforcement who wants to kind of put in the effort, get after it. I think the NC fit app is a great option for you. And I think in particular, our NCX program, that's what I use in conjunction with my jujitsu every now and then I do our other programs, but for the most part, I focus on just fundamental strength conditioning. That's, that's carried over the best for my jujitsu and other sports that I am involved in. Beautiful. Well, thank you for that. And where people, where can people find that app? Uh, right now it's on the app store, iOS, uh, you know, Apple app store under NC fit. And it'd be great if you guys went and check that out. Um, and in the future, we'll get it back on Android. It's just, you know, as, as our business has grown, like I said, we have brick and mortar, we have digital, et cetera. You know, you, you learn what you're good at and what you're not good at. And I, I think we, we had released an Android app and it, it wasn't up to our standard and we had to take it down and it, it, it pissed some people off, but ultimately, you know, you got to stand behind your product. And, and so we will have it back on the Android store. It's just, it needs to be great. And it wasn't great. So we're waiting until it's great <laughs> to put it out. Beautiful. Well, firstly, where can people find the book as many reps as possible? I, I think the audio book is a great option. Um, it's on Amazon. I, I, that was a big learning experience writing the book and, and, and going through that experience. But I think the, the audio book is a great place to go and audible is a good place to get it from. Brilliant. And then I know you have a website. So where can people find the website? And then what about on uh, social media? Yeah, they can go to nc.fit. They can go to jasonkleepa.com. They can go to Jason Kleep on different social channels. Um, you know, I'm pretty, pretty accessible. Um, shoot me a DM if you have any questions about training. But yeah, you know, I just, I, I just want everybody to, you know, be happy, live free, like, like, a, like a Tim Kenny always talks about, and then get after it in the gym, you know, and then use those skills to help them get after it outside the gym. So if I could support people for their in-gym stuff, um, I got you covered. Brilliant. Well, Jason, I want to thank you so much. I know I've got to let you go now, but I truly appreciate you carving some time out and speaking to the audience today. 
yeah, you know, like I, I was, I was telling you, um, Ava's four years out of treatment. She's got a volleyball game. So I'm, I'm heading off to a volleyball game and we'll see, uh, we'll see if they get the W, but it's been fun to watch her get into sports. So it's, you know, it's, it's great. So yeah, I got a kids volleyball game and off that and, and back to, uh, back to work. Yeah.